Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Paul Peluso, the managing editor of Officer Magazine, filling in, filling in this week for Joe Vince, who is off um, th- for this week. With me today, I have... Oh, you're going to make me introduce myself, too. This is retired Lieutenant yeah. Frank Morelli, um, coming to you from beautiful, not as sunny Maryland on the East Coast, where, you know, we flooded yesterday, but that's as this is recorded. Good morning, Paul. How you doing, bud? Hey, no problem, Frank. And yeah, you guys don't know, I'm down here in Florida, right outside of Tampa, and it's been cold for us, but not compared what's, to what it wait, is for you, cold Frank, for you? Cold like, for us. It's, it's been down to 65? Fifty. It got oh, all the way down to fifty today. Fifty, so. man. So anyhow, um, you know, as, as always, we have our plates full with a lot of interesting items that appeared this week on officer.com, a lot of stuff that we posted news and um that we put out on our daily newsday. Uh those of you who are listening, if you don't subscribe to the newsday, make sure you jump on to officer.com and do that. Um lot, lots of good stuff uh between news. Some of our new podcasts are, are listed on their products and a lot of content from the magazine and online. So let, let's uh, forge ahead here um, and talk about our first story out of California um, about a deputy who intervened in an armed assault. Basically, uh, um, uh, and I don't know if I'm saying this right, Frank, but Stanellis, uh County Sheriff's deputy who was on patrol in uh, Modesto. Um, intervened in, in an assault, uh, an assault involving a firearm, and um, basically the uh, the deputy was on duty, and um, the officials there say that you know if he hadn't intervened, um, the the guy that he helped saved would would likely be dead. Um, so Frank, as far as you know, looking at the details of this. What do you see here and, you know, what what are the, some of the things that the deputy did right? And what are the, some of the things that, you know, when you're um when you're on duty and and you're put in these situations, you really have to look out for? Well, I mean, I'm I'm not going to say they did anything wrong in this case. You oh, know, we catch the bad guy, um recover a firearm and uh, save a life. So I'm going to say, you know, batting 100 or batting 1000. We did everything yeah. right. Um when you got somebody who pulls out a weapon chambers around and points it at somebody, the follow on logical thought is he's going to pull the trigger and shoot the person. So um, good job to these deputies for their timely intervention. And I think this really, Paul, I think this is one of those perfect examples of how you don't know what law enforcement really prevents unless it's timed perfectly, right? If these deputies had driven by, 30 seconds later or 30 seconds earlier, let's start there, 30 seconds earlier, would the bad guy, this 19-year-old illegally armed individual, still have done what he was he was trying to do or would he have just jetted and we'd have never even heard about this? 30 seconds later, would they have been finding a, a citizen with bullet holes in him and and the perpetrator has, has jetted, has run away, and you don't know who it is? So, I mean, this is one of those instances where timing is so well uh, emphasized it's 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 right there in your face that this was the moment and we don't see these enough i mean i'm glad we don't but we never know what the impact of the deputies is and the law enforcement is 
unless we see incidents like this. For every one of these we see, we probably there's there's a thousand or more that we never see would be my guess. And this was uh, Deputy Carson McCarthy was uh, the deputy who who responded, and it was ten thirty five in the morning on a Saturday. Um, yeah. Who expects well, to get robbed at ten thirty on a Saturday morning? Well, it, exactly. And then that's you know I, I was going to ask you, um, you know, we're working like that morning shift, um, kind of late morning shift. Is that something you expect to go on, or is it kind of you know you you never know? You know, I think we all think in a stereotypical fashion, and yeah. we we don't we don't think about an armed robbery at ten thirty in the morning or an attempted murder at ten thirty in the morning. You know, we we think about it. It's, it happens at dark, right? And after, on Friday night, Saturday night, when people are drunk. And we th we all think stereotypically, but having been there, done that for so many decades, um, you know, when it's a Sunday afternoon and there's eight inches of snow and it's snowing really hard, you don't expect to get the, the domestic violence call and find somebody bleeding in the street either. So the rule really is expect the unexpected as impossible as that might be but no 10 30 on a saturday morning i wouldn't have been expecting this i'd expect everybody to be watching saturday morning cartoons well let's move on to our next story here out of warren uh, michigan and uh th this is involving you know if you look on the website we have the story but we also have a dash cam video in there of a police pursuit that resulted in the death of a fleeing motor so this took um place on december 26th and uh, basically, the the police commissioner um, of Warren, uh, William Dyer, came out and and said that, you know, his officers that were involved followed the proper uh, procedures, followed them to the letter um, during that pursuit. Um, the dash cam video shows two uniform officers pulling over uh, a Chevrolet Cruze um, and, and a, attempted to... Um, execute the traffic stop when they noticed that the license plate had expired in 2022. And, um, you know, at that point, the driver takes off at a high rate of speed. And in the end, um, you know, the video shows that it becomes, um, becomes, you know, stuck and crashes underneath of this uh, rental truck, this Penske big box rental truck. So, you know, Frank, this has been kind of a point of contention out there for a while now with uh, police pursuits and, you know, whether to pursue and when to stop pursuing. Uh, the the officers, luckily, were were safe here. The, the suspect was not. And, you know, of course, you know, when, when you flee a traffic stop, anything can happen. Um, what did you see here? I, I want to first, first and foremost, I want to thank and congratulate Warren Police Commissioner William Dwyer for saying, hey, my officers did it by the book. They yeah. did everything right. You don't often see folks just stand up like that and take that, take that outlook. There, there you go. Well said, love it, perfect. Now, moving on, I, I think when we talk about you know, somebody out there in that community uh, got themselves in an uproar and, oh, my God, the police officers killed this man for running. Well, that's not what happened. Well, if they hadn't been chasing him, he wouldn't have died. Well, the other half of that is if he hadn't run, they wouldn't have been chasing him. Ultimately, we need to make sure, and I, I like that the, the police commissioner did this, we need to make sure that we separate responsibility, right? Law enforcement does create a risk when they go to pursue somebody. It's this fast chase thing, the hot pursuit, right? But 
I feel like law enforcement's responsible if innocents, people that aren't involved, somehow become involved and get injured. That great, you know, all right, we need to look at the pursuit policy. Was this necessary? Was it worth it? Blah, blah, blah. But when the bad guys make the choice to run from the police and then hurt themselves, the police are responsible for that. That that's like, you know, somebody a, an armed robber who shoots himself in the foot accidentally or negligently during an armed robbery, and then it's the police officer's fault that arrests him because you know if he hadn't been trying to arrest the guy, the guy wouldn't have tried to whatever and shoot himself in the foot. We I'm I'm glad this police commissioner understands crooks are responsible for crooks, police are responsible for police. Sorry, the guy died. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. When you're running from the police and you try try to drive underneath of a truck where you don't fit, you realize you're not in a Fast and Furious movie and, you know, that bad things happen. Yeah, I think a good point the commissioner made, too. He, uh, he said during this press conference that it was a judgment call by the officers that he totally supports, um, that it was a moderate pursuit, that there was no pedestrian traffic, road conditions were not hazardous, and yep. uh, vehicle traffic was light. Um, so, you know, the, the officers were, he estimated that they were driving between 50 and 70 miles an hour during the chase. Uh, everything appears to be have done to have been done, um, by the book. Um, you know, they, they were driving over a hundred and like bad conditions at night. Like I know pursuits like that, you would prefer not to get into, but in this case, it looks like everything was done like it should be. Everybody seems to think that the cops love pursuits. And I got to tell you, I've been in pursuits that just scared to be Jesus out of me. I don't want to be in them, but I love Dwyer's comments right at the end of the article. He says, I firmly believe if the driver had exited the vehicle as instructed by the police officers, he would be alive today. Frankly, he made the decision that ultimately cost him his life. And he says, I care that someone lost their life, but I care about the safety of my officers too. And they did the right thing. I think that says it all again. Kudos to that police commissioner. Well, moving on to our next story, um, out of New York City, that the the mayor there is reversing some of the cuts uh, that that were going to be made to the NYPD and FDNY. Um, basically, you know, the, the some of the cuts that uh, Mayor Adams was um, going to institute um, won't occur now um, d- due to. Um, Due to some of uh, tax revenue and a reduction in product projected uh, what mi- migrant crisis spending, um, yep. it, that there won't be a hiring freeze that was expected and uh, or a layoff of disabled firefighters um, that was expected. So, you know, with, with these big cities, um, especially with the budgets and stuff, they they uh, they oftentimes you know they they have to make deep cuts, but. For these big fire department or police departments and fire departments, uh, for first responders, it's definitely you know can be tough when it comes to the new year and uh, you know wondering if you're going to have a job or if you're you know going to get a pay cut or what's going to happen. Um, what what do you see here, and does it look like uh, look like they're making a good move or just trying to cover themselves? Well, I think they're reversing a bad move. Yeah. Um, because they saw something that was going to bite them politically. So I mean, yeah, yeah. this is just my perspective, and I'm probably a conspiracy theorist to somebody. Um, when you have a city as big as New York, and you look, you're looking at your budget. We're talking about billions of dollars, right? And you're looking at your budget, 
And you're talking about whether or not you can hire any police officers or you have to lay off disabled firefighters. You're not talking about, depending depending on the numbers, you're not talking about millions of dollars, right? If it, maybe you are. If you hire 100 police officers, then you're, you're probably talking about a significant amount of money. And they got 600 new recruits, so they are talking about a nice chunk of change. But then you start talking about migrant crisis spending. They have no idea how many migrants are coming into their city. They know the problems they're dealing with right now. And that becomes a very political hot topic because some of those migrants are being bussed in from Texas. Well, when you declare yourself a sanctuary city, there are repercussions. The challenge I think they ran into was they realized they need public safety in greater numbers. And freezing it was only going to make the current and existing problems worse. So they had to do something. And, and they found a way by talking about uh, you know tax revenue that's better than anticipated. Uh, you know, they find a way to do it without losing face. Now, I, I don't know where they're projecting their tax revenue from. Tax day is not till April. I wouldn't think they'd have this information until then or May. But... Okay, whatever. I, I don't really care how the mayor justifies it. I'm glad these police officers, these firefighters, uh, some of them getting hired, some of them being kept on the job. And, and New York City, I think, is going to be better for it. Uh, I think it's a shame that politics gets involved in budget process, and it does all too often. So, you know, as everybody knows, Eric Adams is a former uh, or a retired NYPD captain. Um, not a lot of big cities you see out there have, you know, former police officials that um, end up becoming the mayor uh, over here in Tampa. Uh, Jane Castors, uh, the former believe, chief of police uh, of, of the Tampa Police Department, and uh, and she's been the mayor for a few years uh, now here. What do you see, you know, when you look at these big city mayors um, that have police experience do you feel like they are more friendly to police or, or as far as you know policy and uh and budgets or are they in the end politicians you know i think that to some extent they have to be more friendly and supportive um simply because they understand what the job is if they were any kind of cop or firefighter at all they understand the risks of the job they understand the sacrifice of the job they get that but at the end of the day, because they got elected and they want to be reelected, they are politicians. Now, if you look at the article, they quote a guy named Brandon out of uh, the, the mayor's office of Bu management and budget. Um, and this starts to be you got to wonder about motivations, right? I mean, the mayor's going to have to run for reelection at some point, And are people that are working within the city, part of his staff, whatever, are they going to be putting up challenges to him? Is it become everybody wants to have their say in, in the news? And I think politics weighs on this way, way too much. Uh, and honestly, Mayor New York City is the only guy I know who is a mayor who used to be a police officer. I've known um, two city council members, excuse me, county council members, who used to be sheriff's deputies in the counties where they they were county council members. And while they were very friendly to the sheriff's office, One's been successful or was successful because he was a good politician. The other one was far less successful because he was uh, loyal to the, to the sheriff's office first. Uh, ultimately, if they want to hold these positions, they have to be politicians first and foremost. So to our uh, next story, um, this is a lighter story, more of a community uh, engagement story that police 
forging ties with you, the Cleveland, Cleveland Browns stadium event. Um, basically the Cleveland, um, greater Cleveland sports commission co- collaborated with, uh, with the group that hosts the Cleveland power, uh, of sports summit series, uh, this past Tuesday, um, at the Cleveland Brown stadium. And, you know, this included different, um, police departments from the area, including, uh, youth and, you know, they, they basically got together and were able to, uh, to have this event, um, the, the basically bond with, uh, with youth in the area. Um, you know, the, the panel, um, talked about how, you know, sporting events bring people together and, you know, I, I think this is one of those partnerships where you kind of see, you know, within cities and big cities, uh, especially where they're having huge issues with violence, um, that, you know, city officials, but then also police officials are looking for ways to uh, to engage with the youth. And it, it looks like this, you know, has has worked well um, or is working well for them. What kind of efforts do you see out there, Frank? Uh, and and do you think this is this is a good idea? I think this is a great idea. Um, I haven't seen anything like this locally um, or really significantly in other places. We do see sometimes where um, a, a city or a county or a state will leverage uh, a popular sports team or popular sports figures to try to bring uh, the community and law enforcement together. Uh, specifically targeting youth, I think, is a great idea. I mean, obviously, the the interest here is um, to keep the youth focused on positive growth and and positive choices and, and staying away from the criminal element that's trying to impact them out there. Um, as, as long as both the law enforcement agencies and whatever sports teams or authorities are involved, remember that it's an unfortunate reality. There are some professional athletes who do have felony criminal records. Um, you, you don't want to hold them up as the hero to the youth, right? You you want the ones that have made it and have kept their nose clean and, and are doing well. But I think this is an excellent strategy. I think it's a great way to get the youth and the police together and, that common interest, right? That common support, whether it's we have the same favorite team or we we both know this guy or we both wish this. Um, I think that goes a long way towards humanizing law enforcement and making the community and these youth realize they're not targeted. Police aren't power hungry racists. You know, that this is we're all we're all people. We're all trying to make the community a better, safer place. This is an excellent channel that can be opened, a means of bringing them together and having that conversation. Yeah, I think that is kind of the whole, you know, spoonful of sugar adage too. that you go into some of these cities. And if you just say, you know, what what teenagers want to come hang out with the cops today, you you might not get a lot of takers. Um, But if you throw something in there like sports or, uh, you know, video games or something, um, you know, different that can maybe music that can connect to, um, to youth, uh, you can bring them in, like you said, have them uh, connect. So I think that's, uh, that's definitely good. So a couple, um, couple more, we'll, uh, go over here. Um, so this is an interesting one out of, um, out of Florida that, uh, a main man is, uh, facing felony charge charges, um, for allegedly hiding a 16 year old teenager, um, from Ohio in his house down in, um, down here in Florida. Um, so the, the way that, the um, 
you know, Marion County Sheriff's Office ended up finding this guy and uh, finding the missing 16 year old is uh, the victim's account on uh, World of Warcraft, which is a role playing uh, computer video game. And we're able to locate her whereabouts. Um, I, I think this, you know, kind of shows the use of technology and some of these investigations um, that that being able to find out that she had an account on this um, platform and that it, it doesn't really go into detail, but I'm guessing that that may have been a way that they, you know, met um, and, and that she was signed in and were able to track down her location. So, you know. Well, we always talk about technology, Frank, and and how it plays a role in a lot of these investigations. And you know, being able to use you know games and apps, things on that you know the people, the victims especially, might be using on their phone. Um, th this is a good case. I and I love this this uh, this use of the technology, Paul. Um, the messaging capability and conversation capability that exists on virtually every gaming platform out there um, is underused, I think. I believe uh, when we start looking at um, investigations of crimes involving minors, that it's being used much more. Uh, when we look at investigations for child pornography, it's being used much more. Um, I, I think it's, it, I, I can't say it enough. I think it's a fantastic use of a tool that a lot of people would back away from because they don't understand it or they like, I'm not going to get on world of Warcraft and play the game. I don't have a clue how much less you want me to have a conversation while I'm trying not to get killed or whatever, attack the next goal or something. I'm lost. I'm glad there are people out there who have that skill. Um, I'm glad they got this 16 year old back and away from this predator, but uh, I think it's an excellent use of this, this new tech and this new strategy. I love seeing it. So out of California, um, a city, and in this case, uh, East Palo Alto, uh, celebrated a year without killing. So in 2023, they, they didn't have a homicide. And uh, that's significant because, you know, in past years, they, uh, they, they, and this is the first time of its 40-year history that it had zero homicides for the year. But at one point, it was known America, as, you know, America's murder capital, um, that, it struggled a lot with uh, homicides in in the area, and you know it it looks like too that you know it its population has grown a bit uh, since that time, but they've been able to uh, through different initiatives uh, through you know police involvement have been able to uh, quell some of that. Um, you know it. What, what uh, did you see here, Frank, and what kind of success uh, that other uh cities uh you know even mid-sized cities can uh can get from this you know I, i'm gonna go i don't know how to say this the right way I, i'm an older guy right I'm, I'm close to 60 i've got 40 years wearing a badge uh and i'd be the first to say that ageism works both ways you know the younger folks that look at me and go oh you're old what do you possibly have to offer i do the same thing i look at my kids and my youngest son's in his mid-20s and if I didn't know him to be an intelligent young man and he started trying to tell me what I was wrong about, I'd be looking at him like, really? Double your life experience and then you'll have almost as much of mine and you can tell me about this stuff. And we have to check ourselves when we do that. I look at this and the mayor, Antonio Lopez, mayor, he's 29 years old. I have to wonder, and he grew up in East Palo Alto. I have to wonder uh, what that youthful outlook as compared to 
say a chief of police who's 50 plus, and I don't know if that's the case, but I, I have to wonder what the youth brings. All right. I have to bring what the new ideas are, the understanding of this, the, the world as it exists that this guy grew up in at, at 29 as compared to the world I grew up in pushing double his age. Um, you know, we, they, they look at some of these numbers um, and, and when they, they talked about the murder capital, it was a per capita number. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they, they've got zero. That, that, that's a great, that's the best per capita number you can have. I don't care if population's 10 or 10 million, zero murders, zero homicides. That's fantastic. And, it, and um, you know, they make mention in here that the police force's funding has is, is grown. Um, I, I think I think this has been, you know, and they, they make the comment that the city gradually shifted its mindset from focusing on the number of arrests to addressing the root causes of crimes. I think this demonstrates a holistic approach to reducing crime, removing re re reasons for violent crime, and increasing law enforcement presence. Obviously, it works. Great. And our last story here, Frank, is uh, back, back to a story out of Florida. Uh, sheriff's deputy um, bravely helped an injured bobcat. So... This is a sheriff's deputy from uh, Lee County, um, and you know the department. Uh, the sheriff's department posted photos on its Facebook page of uh, Deputy Lopez, who had encountered an injured bobcat uh, while on patrol, and was able to, um, you know, safely remove him. It, it shows him cradling this bobcat, and uh, apparently the bobcat was uh, was so you know injured that. You know, it was pretty docile when he when he picked it up. But um, but I know a lot of people on social media and just looking at this right now, um, you know, bobcats are are not something that you would just go and pick up. So this def deputy was definitely, uh, you know, willing to step up. And uh, is this something that you ever dealt with on the street, having to deal with, you know, wildlife and um, anything that might be able to harm you? Animal I can't wise. say I did. I was driving home from the range one night, yeah. obviously down a country road, and somebody had hit a cow, and the cow was in the road, um, and, and the road was going to be blocked until somebody brought a bulldozer or, or, or a front loader big enough to move this cow. Um, but, you know, as far as wildlife that could hurt you, thankfully, I have not had to deal with that. I mean, vicious dog, yeah, we, almost every cop deals with that. And honestly, I can tell you, this would have scared me. I wouldn't have done what this guy did. A 30-pound cat. I want you to think about how much harm your average 15-pound house cat, if you if he's got all of his claws and teeth, five of his six ends are sharp, and he can hurt you with them badly. He can tear you up. This is a 30-pound cat. If we could train this cat, it'd be better than a Malinois out there on patrol. Um, kudos to Deputy Lopez. I tip my hat to the man. I would not have done what he did. I love the fact that he did it and shows the humanity and compassion and, and helps this animal. I think that goes a long way to showing the heart of law enforcement. Yeah, and they're able to transport this uh, bobcat to the Blue Pearl Animal Hospital where, where he'll reportedly make a full recovery. So I don't, I don't know how often they get bobcats in there, but that's... Uh... That I, I know we get bobcats, you know, around my area. Luckily, I haven't seen one. Um, just the other day, we had a bad storm, and 
um, when we opened our front door, we got a nice little surprise. It was a, a baby alligator. O- oh. Only a, yeah, only a couple feet long. Now, it wasn't a big one. It wasn't the mother or the father. But when you, you do get in those situations where that, like he was obviously lost and uh, we kind of just us- ushered him back to the back to get back into the pond. Um, but but I wasn't going to bend over and pick him up. So, so I, I to Deputy Lopez. One little tidbit. The Florida Police Academies teach police officers how to handcuff alligators. Yeah. Ain't no way in hell. I'm not yeah. doing that. That's why I worked up here. But kudos to Deputy Lopez. And uh, I'm glad you don't have a pet alligator now, Paul. Yeah, right. Um, well, everybody, I, I'd like to thank you. Um, this this is the first time that I've, you know, led the lineup podcast. I've joined Joe in the past. Um, you know, can't can't wait uh, to have Joe back here. Um, but yeah, if, if anybody has any questions, any suggestions for us, um, about this podcast or anything else, um, for, from the site or from our podcast, you can reach us at editors at officer.com that's editors.officer.com. And, uh, and thanks for joining us. Stay safe. Is there anything you want to add, Frank? Nope. You said it all, sir. Have a great weekend. Hey, thank you. Take care. All. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the lineup. Please remember, the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.